So we're in John chapter 1, and Pastor Rob began the John series last week, looking at these first few verses, and as he mentioned, what I'm going to do this morning is focus, focus us in on this topic of Jesus as the Word, okay? Jesus as the Word, which comes up in verses 1 through 3, and then again in verse 14. Let's read, let's read this passage, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip ahead to verse 14, and we'll dive in, all right? So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This passage refers to Jesus as the Word. Now, if you think about it, that's an interesting and unique title. To speak of Jesus as Lord, as King, as a shepherd, as a rabbi, as a Savior, those titles make sense when ascribed to a, to a person. But to speak of Him as the Word or the Greek term is the Lagos. To speak of him as the Lagos is unique, isn't it? And we're going to find that this is a very rich and rewarding study this morning. A very encouraging study as we look at this unique title ascribed to Jesus here in the Gospel of John. Elsewhere in the New Testament, John speaks of Jesus as the Lagos as well. Very unique title. But before we dive into that, let me ask you, if you were to guess how many words the average person speaks per day, how many words do you think someone speaks per day? Would you think in the hundreds, in the thousands? Anybody have a guess? What do you think? No Googling, by the way. Keep your phones in your pockets. No cheating. Any guess? Thousands. Somewhere on average, of course it varies depending on the person. I know people who speak many, many, many thousands of words per day. I actually, I say that and I'm, I'm one of those people, so I should be careful. Around 15,000, somewhere between 5,000 and 20,000 words a day. That's a lot, right? Isn't that kind of staggering? Maybe you wouldn't have expected that many. Of course it varies, but it's a lot of words. Now, what is a, what is a word? We're going to think deeply with me this morning, okay? Analyze this. Join me in some over-analysis for a moment. What is a word? Well, it's, it's kind of like a, a tool. It's, it is a tool by which we communicate. It is a, it is, it's something, a tool by which we communicate what we're thinking. Thoughts we have, ideas we have, opinions we have. We express them through words, whether spoken words or written words, we express what is within us that way. And if you think about it, this is how we, this is one of the ways, one of the most profound ways we connect with other people is through words. Communicating with them about, again, how we think, what our beliefs are, what we value, what our opinions are. We are, we are constantly communicating, connecting with others that way. Now think about if we, if we removed words from our existence, if we didn't have words and it was just silence all the time, it would be kind of lonely. 
Also be kind of nice sometimes, wouldn't it? <laughs> nice to have a little peace and quiet. But if it went on for too long, we would be disconnected. We'd be detached from each other. So words are very, very important. There are times when all those words we speak, there are times when our words are, are truthful, are accurate. And there are times when, if we're honest, there are times when our, our words are, are less than truthful. Whether that's through decep- deception or just inaccuracies that we speak because we're limited. There are times when our words are helpful and encouraging. And there are times when our words are not helpful, isn't that right? And not encouraging. There's a proverb that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Speaks to the significance of what we say to one another. So, we've thought about our words, our human words, which we use all day, every day, as we said Not just thousands, but tens of thousands of words every day. Well, when the Apostle John refers to Jesus as the Word, the Lagos, there is really infinite significance to this. We're just going to scrape the surface this morning. But I want us to think about two primary realities, and you see them on the screens beside me. The Lagos, in terms of creative order, and the Lagos in terms of redemptive grace. That's what we see here in John chapter 1. Last week, as Pastor Rob began this Gospel of John series, he talked about Jesus and his eternality, Jesus and his unity with the Father, Jesus and his deity, Jesus and his creativity. We, we saw those things in this section of John chapter 1. And there are going to be some overlap, but there's also going to be a little bit more with regard to the specificity of the idea of the Lagos. So let's talk first about the Lagos and creative order. This is, this is John zooming out. Okay, As you move through the Gospel of John, he's going to get into these really vivid details of Jesus' life. But here he's zooming out and he's talking in terms of grandiose cosmic realities. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He brings us all the way back to the beginning. Borrows the same words as the beginning of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Well, John also starts here, in the beginning, and he says, we tend to think of Genesis 1-1 in terms of the Father. He speaks here in terms of the Son, and he calls him the Word, and he says the Word was there. He was with God. He was, he was in a sense, distinct from God in that he's a distinct, separate person, but he's also God in his nature, so he's with God and he is God. He's God the Son, and he says, he repeats it in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And these terms in the beginning make us think of kind of chronological realities in a sense. They, they make us think of, of a beginning, and yet when it says that Jesus was, that verb has to do with being, okay? He, meaning, He's always been. There's never been a time when Jesus didn't exist or when the Father didn't exist or when the Spirit didn't exist. God has always been. To use philosophical terms from the past, apologists would speak of God in terms of being the uncaused cause. So there's this law of cause and effect. Everything we see has a cause behind it. I was talking with one of my daughters about it 
And I said, hey, Juliana, if you were to, and I used the example of walking into the, the church building. I said, if you walked into the church building and you just saw in front of you a ball rolling across the floor, what would you conclude? And she said, well, I would conclude that somebody must have rolled it or tossed it or whatever. Like, it was caused somehow. And then we, this is a true story, we walked into the back doors of the church this morning and there was an object, a plastic round object rolling across the floor. We looked around, there was nobody to be seen. So, so I said, look, Dad, that's, just, that's what we were just talking about. And then we're looking around and then we saw little sneakers underneath the divider. Um, so somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody for whom those, those sneakers, uh, to whom they belonged, rolled it. So there... It's always a cause. But what this is pointing us to is this reality that, that God is the uncaused cause. He's always been. He created all things. He says in verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Meaning, everything. Every single thing. So, so think with me on the grand scale for a moment. Last estimate I saw, and this is always changing, but the last estimate I saw was they believe, scientists, astronomers believe that the universe is in the range of 93 billion light years across. One light year is around 6 trillion miles. One light. So go ahead and just do that math in your mind for a moment. 93 billion times 6 trillion that make your brain hurt? Somewhere in that range, and we don't even know. Some, some say it's infinite, but it's just vast. And this is saying, hey, Jesus created it all. He made it all. And you think of the universe in that way, or if you zoom in a bit, you just think of our solar system and the planets and revolving around the sun, each one of them in their place. All the details of that, and he's sovereign over all of that. And then you zoom in more to yourself, myself, at this very moment, create us. And it says in the New Testament, not only did Jesus create all things, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. So he is, he is sustaining us at this very moment as, we're, as you're sitting here. I'm standing here, we're breathing. He's sustaining us right now. It says everything that's come into being has come into being through him. It says he, he always has been. So there's this, there's this being of God and there's this now derived or created or dependent sense of beginning. We, this beginning speaks of our beginning, okay? Coming from him. Colossians says all things have been made through him and for him. It's amazing to think of Christ's involvement in creation, the agent of creation, participating in creation with the Father. And along with that, and, and let me just say this, as we think of Jesus as the Lagos and the Creator, you can think of, remember we said earlier, what we do through our words is we connect, we said. We said, this is how I get a thought from my mind to your mind is through words. Well, how God gets His existence to us it's through Jesus the Word. Do you see? It's through Christ that we come to exist. And not only do we get come to exist and we get to exist because of Jesus, along with that, all of 
the order we experience in this world, we, listen, every moment we live and move and have our being, all that we're doing in this world, every moment we are benefiting from the Lagos, we are experiencing the, the Lagos, we, we are governed by the Lagos every moment. In terms of the order of everything he's established. And there's so much to this. Let me, let me make your brain hurt just a little bit more. Hopefully you ate breakfast this morning. Probably most of you did. Let me ask you, as you ate breakfast this morning, were you thinking about all the science involved in your breakfast and the eating of your breakfast and the digestion of your breakfast? Probably not. You're probably just enjoying your cereal or your waffles or pancakes or whatever you had this morning. You probably weren't thinking in detail about it, but there, but there are lots of details if you stop and think about it, aren't there? The, I mean, the muscles involved in chewing and swallowing and the enzymes that break down the food and the digestion process. And then you, then you got in your car and you drove to church this morning and you probably didn't think about all the laws of science involved there, gravity and inertia and all the other laws of physics and combustion in your engine. I mean, you weren't thinking about all those, unless you're a super nerd, which you might be, but I doubt it. But you probably weren't thinking about all those things. But yet you are in those moments, are you not? You're experiencing the order of things in this world. There's a certain science to it. There's natural law and there's even moral law. And all of that has been designed and built into the universe by Jesus himself. So that truly we, we are surrounded by the handiwork of Christ. His trademark is on everything. Everything belongs to him. Long before the Apostle John came on the scene, there were philosophers who would talk about the Lagos, and they would think deeply about the Lagos, and they would debate the Lagos, and, and many of them believed that the Lagos was like this impersonal rationale behind all things. The reason behind all things. That which gives order and structure to all things. And so they would sort of grope around and try to figure out what, what, what made the world as they knew it at that time, as they understood it. What gave it its structure and its order? And, and they would use the term laga. So you can only imagine how it blew their minds when John here through inspiration says, Hey, let me tell you about the lagos, not just as a concept, but as a person. It's God himself and specifically God the Son, the one through whom the Father created all things, the one for whom all things exist. There is a personal Lagos. In every part of life we are experiencing Him. We are receiving from Him and benefiting from His gifts to us. Every time we solve a math problem, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Every time we construct a sentence with words and phrases, paragraphs. Every time we, we play a song or write a song, for those who are able to do that. Every time we look through a telescope and see the amazing things out there, outer space, or look through a, a microscope and see microorganisms and microbiology and all the details of Jesus' handiwork there. Every time we are interacting with, observing, receiving from the Lagos. And that is both in terms of natural order, natural law, you could say even moral law, 
I remember walking through the halls of my daughter's elementary school back in Washington, and you know, the schools, as you know, public schools, kind of a secular zone, right? So not really allowed to talk things of God there. At least they have to be careful if they were to do so. But even in that type of secular environment, there were words on the walls of be kind, be respectful, be this, be that. What's that? That's humans who know there's something to even a moral order and it's necessary in some way. So it's, it's inescapable. And through Scripture, and specifically here through the Apostle John, we are being acquainted with the Lagos, the personal Lagos, Jesus who is the one who created all of this, who makes sense of all of this. And it makes us feel, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel small in a really healthy way. It makes us feel small. So order, and, and there's a lot more to say about it, and this is, I'll just throw a little teaser out there for our uh, Pastor Rob and, and my conversations and our Cornerstone conversations uh, this week. We're going to be talking more about this, even as it relates to things like exercising some caution, but like even political topics, like all these things related to policy have implications for how we understand order and the way God made things to be. So I'll leave it there. I'm tempted to go more, but I will not go more on that. But uh, we'll talk about that in the podcast this week. However, I just want you to be amazed by the idea of God's order, the handiwork of Christ. And now, this is what's amazing as well. In verse 14, it says, And this same word, this Lagos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. In truth, here he really zooms in and says, God himself, God the Son, God the Word became flesh. Remember I said earlier, a word is the, the, the means by which we get a thought from my mind to your mind. We said the, Jesus being the Word, it has to do with him getting existence from God to us. And not only that, but it has to do with him getting his redemption and salvation from God to us. He's, he's given us physical life natural life and through Christ he also gives us spiritual life doesn't he and he says here that the word became flesh how how does it happen God has to meet us where we are he has to come to where we are so he takes on flesh the the creator in essence takes on the body of a creature which is mind-blowing to think that he would stoop that way and we'll see in just a few moments the incredible nature of that how amazing and stunning and awesome that is in just a few moments. But just before we get there, just think about this a little bit. Jesus, we're going to see in the Gospel of John, we're going to see the Lagos in action, the Creator in His creation, and all that is broken because of sin, all that is broken in terms of the natural order, things are winding down and things are decaying and decomposing and there's disease and there's death. All of that awful stuff as a consequence of the curse because of our sin and our rebellion against our God, we see God enter into that kind of world and we see him as the sovereign creator restoring things in his presence. We see him turn water to wine. In chapter 2 of John, a little bit later, he's healing, he's heal, healing a disabled child we see him healing a, a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. 
We're going to see that. We're going to, we're going to see... We're going to see him uh, multiplying bread and fish and and causing just a little bit to feed thousands of people because he's able to do that. We're going to see him raise Lazarus from the dead later in John. We're going to see the Lagos in action. And as we're, even in this moment, thinking about those truths, what we're thinking about is what this passage speaks of in terms of seeing his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, when they were wandering along before settling in Israel, they had a tabernacle, which was an elaborate tent. And and this term here that John uses is a term that was used for that tent. And it speaks of God's presence with his people. And at those times, God's presence was revealed in a certain way, and his glory was revealed in a certain way, sometimes with shining light, Sometimes with the cloud, but God was showing that he was with them. And that was amazing, and that was spectacular. Like in the truest sense of the word spectacular, it was a spectacle. And the people were appreciative in ways, and then of course they were rebellious in many ways also. But that was part of their wandering, and God showing himself faithful to them, his presence with them. Well, John is saying, hey, even even in a far greater sense, when Jesus came to this world, not only was he with people around people, but he himself was in a body. He experienced this world and its cursed fallen order as a human being so that pain and suffering, all the human hardships he personally experienced so that he could become a great high priest who sympathizes, who understands everything that we go through. Imagine your creator who is so far above you infinite in knowledge and power, experiencing the types of things you experience, understanding your struggles, the anxiety that you feel, the greed that you feel. He was tempted in all those ways, yet without sin, we're told, because the Creator took on the body of a creature to meet us where we are and where we see it most glaringly, and it's remarkable as you get into John chapter 13, just from previous study, I remember this and being impacted by it. You see his glory. It says he's revealing glory. He's shining the glory of God as he walked around and healed people and spoke truth and everything that he did. But you get to John chapter 13, and he says there, now the Father is glorified in me. Now I am glorified. He's very specific. He keeps saying, like, there's an hour coming, there's an hour coming. Then he says there in John 13, now is the time when you're really going to see glory. And you know what he was referring to? He's referring to the cross. And if you're just, just picturing the cross and the brutality of it, the horror of the cross, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking carefully about it, you would have to ask the question, wait, how is that the most glorious moment? How? How is that? You healed people, you walked on water, you raised Lazarus from the dead, but the die, God dying on a cross, that's glory? How is that glory? And I want us to think of it in terms of words, since we're talking about words this morning. Do you remember the words coming out of the mouths of the people as Jesus was on, or, or about to go to the cross, really before, leading up to that moment? Do you remember the words coming out from people with passion, and vitriol and venom. You remember the words, crucify him. Remember those words? 
That's what, that's what we in that moment, we as humans, our representatives there that day, that's what we as humans say to God. Away with you. Crucify him. And you know what God was saying to them and saying to us through the cross. I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you. Take note of what you would do to me. Your creator, the one who gave you everything you have, the one who sustains you, the one who's created the order of the universe within which you live and move and have your being. Look what you've done to me. And look what I do for you. And I say, in this moment, as you execute your God, I forgive your sins. This is where God imparts to us. He sees us in our death. And this is where John's going here a little bit later, these verses in chapter 1. He sees us in our death and he gives us life. He sees us in darkness and he gives us light. And the cross, is the, that's the moment when that collision happens between human hate and God's love. And he communicates to us through Jesus the word, this is my love for you. I made you and I save you. You see? You see how he's the logos? See how he gets the realities of God to you right where you're at? He comes and meets you in flesh and says, I understand, I'm with you, and I'm for you, and here's life. I mean, it's just amazing. So let's close with this. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We, we studied Ecclesiastes before we went into John. And we did this because Ecclesiastes teased us up so well. It teased it up for, for the gospel so well. And there's a passage that we, that we didn't look at for the sake of time. We didn't cover every single passage here in Ecclesiastes. But one that, the one that really gave me pause and and found so interesting and it relates to what we just talked about and the, the essence of the gospel it's so amazing look at ecclesiastes chapter 5 just the first two verses as solomon talks about the vanity the emptiness of religion he says guard your steps as you go to the house of god and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know what Solomon's saying here? He's saying, I've observed people going to the house of God, or in our case, going to church. And uh, remember we said earlier, we're just, we're blabbers, right? We talk a lot, we blab a lot. So I observe they go in, they're just blabbing, blabbing, blabbing about what they're going to do and what they believe and what their intents are and what they value, what they're going to do for God and what the, just a lot of blabbing, 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 blabbing. He says, you know, I just see there's just some emptiness to that because they're just humans and frankly, they're just kind of dumb, and a lot of times the words are not truthful. And a lot of times the words of humans are not helpful or healing. A lot of times they're the opposite of that. And he says, you know, there's, 
There's something to this going to the house of God. Maybe what's more appropriate is that when we go to the house of God, we go not to talk, but to listen, to hear, to hear God speak. So that whoever's up here blabbing, whether it's me this morning or Pastor Rob or any one of the other leaders here in any other setting, a Bible study, any setting, that our heart is, our desire is that you would hear from God. That you would hear of specifically of Jesus because he is life. Because he is the truth. And, and this world is filled with lies. And frankly, so often my head is filled with lies and your head is filled with lies. And God says, I have truth for you. And my truth will set you, what? Free. So in a way, Solomon himself, I'm sure, didn't even fully understand. He, he was really, in a way, kind of prescribing New Testament church opportunities, opportunities to come and listen and hear the word, hear of the Lagos, hear the word of Christ and who he is and all that he has provided for you and for me. Which is not to say we can never talk. <laughs> Which is not to say we shouldn't sing. We should. But just to say what governs it all. What fills us with life and enthusiasm and gratitude. It's the seeing. It's the beholding the glory of God full of grace and truth. Redemptive grace and truth. And then just to give thanks as a, as a recipient of grace. Close with these words and then we'll pray. This is the old song is a Christian artist that I've liked for a long time named Michael Card. Some of you've probably heard of Michael Card. He's been around a while. And he has this word or this song called The Final Word. He says, You and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. We needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your written word, which points us to the living word, Jesus. We're thankful, God, for the gift of words, words through which we can communicate and connect with other people. And even as we reflect on that reality, we admit to you, Father, that so often our words betray our ignorance, whether our limitations or our hardness of heart, our blindness. So often our words are inaccurate. So often our words are unhelpful. And that is our human state. And that's what you describe in John chapter 1 when you talk of our darkness and our death. So here we are as needy sinners, broken people in a broken world. 
in one sense, marveling over the order of the world you have made, but also observing its disorder because of sin, because of rebellion, because of hostility, because of anger, because of all the evil things that we are so often plagued by. And you saw us in our flesh, in our darkness, in our death. And you wish to impart to us your life and your light and your healing and your freedom and your truth. And so you sent Jesus the word to speak to us, to save us, to rescue us. And so as we hear Jesus, our hearts are filled with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Thank you for all that he means to us. Thank you for what he accomplished thousands of years ago and all of the benefits that we partake of today to include the hope of everlasting life. That even when our time comes to die, to expire and leave this world, we know that we'll be home with you in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's all a gift of grace. God, we're blown away. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.